Morning everybody, uh, welcome back uh, to our church service. It's a real pleasure to be able to welcome you wherever you're tuning in from. Um, there's digital tea and coffee uh, as usual afterwards and the details uh, you'll find um, either uh, on Alvanto or on your email. Um, after our week of prayer, and, and thanks to everyone for, for taking part in that, it's wonderful to be able to uh, to gather our, our voices and our prayers uh, together to to show our concern for our, our family, friends, colleagues, nation, the nations of the world. Uh, but we're back to a normal pattern this week. It's on Monday prayer at 8 p.m. Again, details on the email and on Elvanto. And our community groups are back again studying through uh, the Gospel of John. And just uh, to remind you uh, that one of the reasons we're, we're doing that is so that uh, we might be able to use that word one-to-one -one resource to think about how we might be able to share uh, the Gospel of John uh, with a friend uh, during this uh, time in particular. So again, everybody's welcome. If you've not been part of a community group before, uh, please be in touch. Uh, we'd love to get you connected. Now, our call to worship uh, comes from Isaiah 55 this morning, from the beginning. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. Here's the wonderful invitation as God draws near to us, he invites us to draw near to him and to find that he satisfies the deep wants and longings in our hearts. And so as we begin our time together, we're going to sing, we're going to sing uh, the hymn uh, that we started learning last week, Jesus Strong and Kind. Really thankful to Kellen for, for learning it and for uh, this recording, which we can uh, worship God with now. Now, our uh, Bible reading uh, this morning comes from Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 and we're going to read together the first 13 verses. Uh, but we're going to concentrate our thoughts on verses 1 to 8. So let's hear God's word together. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralysed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralysed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, 
Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. <clears throat> so as we continue to think about the, the subject of faith together, and um, what we are invited to see here today from Matthew is that we are called to have faith in the sin-forgiving power of Jesus. When it comes to the telling of stories, it feels like um, there are maybe two main styles, um, two routes, as it were, to get to the same destination. Some storytellers, they like to meander. Every detail is gone into. Every point of a conversation is addressed. You find yourself maybe going on surprising sidetracks and you wonder how in the world is this story ever going to get back to resolution? You know, you start back down. This is going to be a while. Um, other storytellers are very different, aren't they? Very direct. Um, straight to the point. No elaboration. And probably, if you take a few seconds to think about your friends or your family, uh, you'll recognise those different storytelling styles. I wonder which one you are. I'm a terrible storyteller. So I get the point, make it, try and move on. Matthew, uh, our gospel writer here, he's a very direct storyteller. A number of times where he records things that happen in the life of Jesus, he strips back the details uh, to focus on a main point. So boys and girls, if you were to read this same story in Mark or in Luke, uh, you would discover that really uh, interesting and surprising moment where the friends, yes, they bring the man to Jesus, but they do that by uh, climbing up on the roof and then digging the hole through the sea. Do you remember that, that story where they dig the hole in the ceiling and they lower the man down um, on his mat in front of Jesus, while the, the crowds in the house are astonished at what's going on. Why is Matthew so brief? Uh, because he wants us to not miss his goal, his point. His point is that he wants to show us the authority of Jesus in another way. This time to show us the sin-forgiving power of Jesus. So he, he takes a, a laser-like focus to the story so that we come to see that forgiveness is Jesus' number one priority for this man, and by extension for you and for me. Matthew wants us to see that forgiveness is the greatest gift that Jesus offers. And Jesus offers that coming to us with authority as God with us. So let's think, for, for most of our time, we'll think about Jesus' priority and think about the gift of forgiveness. Um, so in, in verse 1, we're told uh, very briefly that Jesus has arrived home. Uh, Capernaum was his hometown. And what he discovers in verse 2 is a man with obvious needs. He is paralyzed. But that's not all Jesus discovered. We're also told in verse 2 that Jesus sees their faith. Now we're in a wider section, Matthew 8 to 10, where we see a lot of Jesus' authority being demonstrated in different ways. 
authority over a variety of illnesses, a variety over the forces of nature, like last week when he stilled the storm, authority over demons. <clears throat> so presumably, uh, these men, including the paralyzed man, recognized that Jesus brings hope. So Jesus sees their faith. So how does Jesus respond to their faith in verse 2? He said to the man, take heart, son. There's encouragement. There's welcome. And then he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you were to hear the first part of the sentence, you were part of the crowd or you were the paralyzed man's friends, I don't imagine that's how you expected to fill in the blank. How you'd expect Jesus to conclude that sentence, your sins are forgiven. For the friends, as they brought the man to Jesus, for the man as he came on his mat to Jesus, I'm sure um, he would be thinking, I, I really want to walk. I really want to be able to walk. I would like to be able to worship in the temple, perhaps. He says, I want to be whole. Jesus says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. What's happening here? What's happening is that Jesus has looked deeper into the man's problem. He's getting all the way uh, to his heart. And he's looked wider. He's looked beyond just the temporary uh, to give hope for eternity. And so Jesus comes and he provides, in actual fact, the deepest help and healing. Now Jesus could, and we discovered in our story that he did, heal the man's body. But that man, even after being healed, he would still face disappointment. There would still be frustrations. And ultimately, there would still be death. So Jesus wants to go deeper and wider in the salvation that he brings. There's a wonderful little phrase in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where we're told, God has put eternity into our hearts. We have that ache for eternity. Jesus understands that knowing eternal life, knowing God, is where we find lasting satisfaction. That's where deep and unending joy comes from. And to get to that point, we need forgiveness. We need the barrier of sin between us and God to be removed. So we see clearly Jesus loved the man. And remember, Jesus also healed his body because Jesus cares for us physically and spiritually. And that's really good for us to remember uh, during this crisis. But his priority is spiritual and eternal. Verse six, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus is clear. Life enjoying God matters more than a life enjoying good health. Can we believe that today? Maybe it's particularly challenging to believe that today, that life enjoying God matters more than life enjoying good health. Jesus has gone above and beyond, in no doubt, everybody's expectations. And maybe some of you um, 
listening in are sports fans and you're feeling the gap uh, with the lack of live sport, maybe um, like me, you've been tuning into The Last Dance, uh, the story of Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls um, on Netflix. Uh, there's an, uh, each episode tends to focus on a different sort of character from uh, the team. And, and in the, the Dennis Rodman uh, episode, there's this wonderful moment where after a game, uh, Dennis Rodman's massive, uh, tattooed, multicolour-haired uh, basketball player uh, sees uh, a crowd of fans uh, who are waiting beyond the barrier to, to get an autograph. And, and one little boy um, sort of sticks out his uh, autograph book for Dennis to sign. And what Dennis does, he signs the autograph, sure, but then he takes a wee second, then he takes his shoes off his shoulder and he gives them to the boy. What a gift! They kind of hope that they saved them and they'd be worth a fortune. Um, but in a much greater way, Jesus has gone above and beyond what these friends could have asked as they brought their paralysed friend to Jesus. But maybe we're asking, why does Jesus put forgiveness first? Why is forgiveness his first priority? And maybe it'll help if we think about the, the storyline of the Bible to uh, help to see why that would be. If we go back to the beginning, go back to creation, God made a perfect world uh, and then he made uh, the first people, Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, they were made in the image of God. They were made to, to steward, to look after creation. Um, they were made for a relationship with one another, but they were also made to enjoy relationship with God. They knew God, God walked with them and talked with them. Uh, so people were made for enjoying that relationship, for enjoying the glory of God, receiving life in that fellowship with God. <clears throat> but from the beauty um, of that perfection of life in the Garden of Eden, the Bible tells us there was a fall. There was a rejection of God and his word, which brought sin, which led to shame, which led to hiding from God, which led to suffering and ultimately leads to death. And Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden, symbolic of the fact that, that sin severs, breaks, the relationship between people and God. So for Jesus, the deepest problem then is the problem of sin deep in our heart. It's the problem of ignoring God in the world that he has made. It's refusing to honour God or to love him, to turn our back on our Father, to rebel against God as king because that sin if it is not forgiven and covered leads to eternal separation so Jesus came with a clear priority to carry out a mission to rescue us to reconcile us to God to make peace with God to redeem us from a slavery to sin leading to death by forgiving sin through his death on the cross. 
Even before he was born, the angels came to, to Mary, his mother, and said, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. So that's Jesus' priority. And Jesus' greatest gift is forgiveness. Now, I can imagine today you might very well have a list of lockdown if only. If only I had that opportunity, if only that freedom hadn't been denied me, then um, I would be happy. None of those if onlys can fill the eternal ache in your heart. But Jesus can and Jesus wants to and Jesus does. As people, we, we plan, we dream, we make our bucket lists, we make our five-year plans. But we need to understand that that holiday, that career, that family, good though they may be, cannot fill the God-shaped hole in our heart. Jesus knows the greatest gift that he can give, the greatest gift that God can give you, is to give himself. Jesus came as God with us. Jesus came to bring forgiveness so that by faith in Jesus and his work on the cross of his dying for sin, taking the punishment we deserve, by faith, by trusting in Jesus, we can have life enjoying God, which is how we were made to be. And that's life enjoying God now and for all eternity. Is Jesus' priority my priority? When I think about my life, when you think about your life, do our priorities match up with that of Jesus? What about when we think about our wishes and desires for the people that we love, for even for the prayers that we make? Above all, do we want people to find forgiveness so they can know life with God? I've started rereading C.S. Lewis's little book, The Weight of Glory, and in the essay that gives the book its title, Lewis discusses um, glory and reward uh, in the Christian faith. And what he says is that uh, the great glory that we look forward to, the reward that is ours, ultimately is to be approved of by God, to be welcomed by God, to have God delight in us, to have God love here is the ultimate gift. Here is the great priority and goal that should drive our lives. And Jesus came for this reason. Jesus brings forgiveness for this reason so we might find our joy in God. Possibly the most famous quote uh, from uh, that essay is this one. Let me read it. If we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised us in the Gospels, it would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition while infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I wonder, does Lewis, in his assessment, does he reflect your life and mine today? Jesus' priority, Jesus' gift, is that we be forgiven so that infinite joy might be ours. Now connected to that, and it's something that the, the crowds recognise, or at least some of them, and there is a great claim that Jesus is making. The religious leaders, they certainly understand this and they're shocked by Jesus' statement. In verse 3, Jesus having said, your sins are forgiven at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. He is misusing the name of God by claiming some of the rights of God. They understand the implications because to forgive someone, you must have been sinned against. You think about this in a, a personal relationship. If, if Tom and Dick have a fight and Tom hits Dick, Harry, person number three, he cannot come along and say, I forgive you. Only Dick can do that. So to forgive someone, you must have been sinned against. And they understand that. And another thing that they understand, the religious leaders, is that forgiveness belongs to God. In Psalm 51, in verse 4, uh, David, uh, confessing sins, says, says, against you, and you only have I sinned. Other people have been sinned against, but primarily it's against God. God establishes the rule, so every time we break those rules, every time we break God's commands, we are sinning against God. And even when we sin against another person, we are sinning against an image bearer of God. And so we sin against God. So the religious leaders, they, they understand in a moment that Jesus is saying, I am God and as God, I forgive you. That's a huge claim, isn't it? Now the heart of the religious leaders' opposition is that they reject the claims of Jesus. They refuse to believe he is God. Jesus, speaking of their thoughts, says, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? And then in verses five and six, there is the question, which is easier? To say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? And this is a question that, that provokes quite a lot of uh, debate when you read uh, different books or you hear people talk. I, I guess for us in the 21st century, uh, our instinct might be, well, talk is cheap. It's, it's easy in a sense to say your sins are forgiven because there's no proof of that. Therefore, get up and walk is harder because that needs proof. But I wonder if that would be how a first century religious person might think. They might say, well, we know that there are other people who have healed with the power of God. Maybe it's harder 
to say your sins are forgiven because that's claiming the rights and the authority of God. And to a religious society that took the name of God, that took the holiness of God seriously, that's a hard thing to claim. But what Jesus does, either way, um, it's hard to say which is true, but either way, Jesus connects forgiveness of sin and the healing of the man to claim identity of God, to claim the power of God, especially the power of God to forgive sin. Now on this, it's so important for us that we take Jesus's claims seriously. Sometimes when people don't sort of make a, a full study of the Bible, they maybe think, oh, I like Jesus, I like he's a, he's a good teacher, I like that he went around helping people, I like some of his wise teaching. Um, but you can't really ignore when Jesus claims to be God, as he does in many, many, many different ways. Uh, in the 19th century, there was a, a professor at the Free Church College who went by the nickname of Rabbi Duncan. Um, and he was followed in the 20th century again by C.S. Lewis, who both uh, present uh, a response to the claims of Jesus, Rabbi Duncan talks about it as a trilemma. You know, Jesus, when he makes claims like this, he's either a liar who is deliberately deceiving people, he or deliberately deceiving us on the fact that he can forgive sins. He's either a, a lunatic who's completely self-deluded, who's got delusions of, of grandeur and, and imagines he's God, when actually he's just a, a normal person who's imbalanced, or we take his claims seriously, we recognise that he is Lord. He is either truly evil, because he's uh, claiming to be the way to God, and, and millions and millions of people have followed uh, Jesus because of those claims, because of his truth, because of his life, or he's either truly evil or he's truly good, he is truly God. There is no halfway house. If we take Jesus' claims seriously, it doesn't allow us to sit on the fence. What's at stake when it comes to thinking about Jesus' identity? Well, if we trust the Gospels, Jesus is God who is with us, who has become one of us to save us, to forgive our sin to bring to us eternal life and eternal hope. So it's really important that each one of us takes seriously the identity of Jesus because of the claims that he makes. And if Jesus is who he claims to be, how do I respond? We see two positive responses to Jesus in our story. First, we saw the men who had faith here is a call to trust in Jesus. To trust that he is strong and kind. To trust that he is the saviour that you need. To trust that he can meet your deepest need, that he can forgive your sin. He can bring you peace with God. He can give you hope of eternal life that will never end, of, of perfect joy. So one response is faith. The other positive response we find in here is awe and praise. 
the crowds recognise Jesus is awesome. In the truest sense of the word, they recognise the authority of Jesus and they praise God for the gift that he brings. Jesus came to forgive sin. That's not something we deserve. That's God's grace. We deserve judgment. We deserve hell. But God in his kindness sends Jesus so we can receive forgiveness and we can receive heaven. Jesus came to transform sinners, to change our lives, to bring infinite joy and hope in life and death. How do we respond to Jesus and to what he offers? Maybe today is the time to think about the priorities that you are setting for your life and for your family. Do they match up with that of Jesus? Do they include Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus who came with God's authority on God's mission to forgive sin by his death on the cross? We're invited to have faith in the sin-forgiving power Jesus.